do. There you go. Here we are. And here we are. News reel with Joe Neal. Joe, what's happening? What do you mean what's happening? Anywhere. What kind of question is that? Ukraine, tell us. What's happening in Ukraine? Yeah. Uh, spring offensive is going really well. Yeah. 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 According to the media, according to the Western media, the spring offensive is going super well. And um, well, I can actually show you in a picture here. Um, I think a few days ago, three or four or five days ago, whatever it was, the, it was three months since the start of the spring counteroffensive. Yeah, June 6th. Yeah, so four days ago. And uh, here's a picture of the territory gained uh, as a result of the three months of spring offensive. Let me just click on the picture uh, the wow, all that in red. That's no, cool. no, no. The blue, the blue, the blue. Yeah. Ah, stop. Ah, come on. How many billions? Billions of dollars, untold. How, how many Ukrainians killed lost for that? Four hundred thousand at least. Well, not obviously in the last three months, but yeah, quite a few in the last three months actually. Um, it's just it's a it's a racket. Like we keep saying, war's a racket. A lot of money being made for. Western, particularly American and British um, and French, but particularly American and British um, arms, weapons manufacturers um, who are being paid with American and British taxpayer money to send weapons to Ukraine so that Russia can destroy them and then they send more. So it's kind of like the American and British and other governments in the West are sending taxpayer money to Ukraine, and then Russia's setting it on fire. Uh-huh. Like, like you know, crate loads of dollar bills are being dropped into Ukraine. <laughs> and then uh, Russia's, Russia's just throwing a match on them. Yeah, That's fine, because two, it keeps... Two Challenger tanks were hit this week. One is confirmed. The Russians claim they've hit a second one. Yeah. The indestructible British tank. Yeah, well, uh, to give you an idea of the just the... The cognitive dissonance, or the delusion, or I don't know, I don't know what else how, how else you'd describe it. And um, there's there was a, there's a guy in the what is he? I think he's in the Daily. I think he's in the Daily Mail. Telegraph, probably. Oh, sorry, Telegraph. Yeah, not the Daily Mail. The Telegraph. Um, he's supposedly a former tank commander, and they have him on quite a lot for like writing articles for the Telegraph on what's going on in Ukraine. And if you just click on, um, there's a few pictures here. Just. He's an expert. Cause he uh, yeah, know. his name is Hamish de Breton Gordon. And Never heard of him. A few months ago, when British Times, if you click on the left-hand picture there, um, he wrote he, in, this, in the British Telegraph, British-made tanks are about to sweep Putin's conscripts aside. Note, note the conscripts. Right. British-made. The best of British. <laughs> Tally-ho. Let's go, boys. Send in the British tanks. They'll sweep Putin's conscripts aside. As a former tank commander myself, I know the Challenger 2 vastly outmatches what's left of Russia's armor. <laughs> so if you just uh, click on the right arrow, then you get an update. Three months ago. Which is the British Challenger tank 2 tank destroyed in combat for the first time. So this is the first time this tank has ever been destroyed because it has never really been in any kind of active combat ever. In, in its history, in terms of the mo- this modern uh, in a, version of it, it's never been any in, in any a near con- peer war. It's ne- never been in, in, yeah. in a proper conflict zone. So uh, that's why this guy was full of, full of delusional yeah. uh, expectations about it. But then, uh, not long after they arrive, 
the first one gets destroyed. Uh, and, and, and then you, if you go you to the... You wrote that two days ago. wonder what he's going to say. Well, the well if you go to the next one, yeah. that was in response to this. So this was in another... Uh, his response to that tank being blown, blown, blown up, he said, <laughs> he said, destroying an invincible Challenger 2... <laughs> Challenger 2 in Ukraine was a stroke of pure dumb luck for the Russians, (laughs) the same ex-British tank commander said. So yeah, uh, the Copium... Since claimed that they've hit a second one. The Copium being snorted by that guy is just amazing. But these are the people, you have to remember this, so that, you saw three, you know, you saw three articles commented on by, or the evolution of this guy's thinking, and and he's obviously delusional, you know. Um, or he's lying on purpose, but he can't lie, so he just obviously says, you know, our tanks are going to sweep sweep the Russian conscripts aside and win the war for Ukraine, and then, you know, they're invincible, basically. <clears throat> the first one that arrives gets destroyed, and his response is, ah, it's just pure dumb luck. I mean, that level of, of delusion, self-delusion, and snorting of copium, you know, you let it fly with for the average person, whatever. And but even they, you would know if someone said that to you, you would be like, "Yeah, dude, you know, I know. Okay, you know, it's okay to admit that you're wrong." You know, but yeah, the problem is, is, this guy is actually informing the public. He's being held up as someone who the public, the British public at least, should listen to in terms of his analysis because he's been pushed to the front pages. Has been for the past two years in this conflict. He's been pushed to the front pages. Uh, his his commentary on the war in Ukraine on what to expect and what's going to happen is 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 being, you know, his opinion is being, or his expert opinion is being, you know, offered up to the public as this is what you should believe in. But obviously the guy's, you know, a bit of shit for brains and uh, can't even admit he was wrong when he was when he's wrong. Um, they never will. And yet this is what we're meant. To, this is the media that we're meant to believe. Anyway, uh, that's what's going on in Ukraine. Apart from. That in Ukraine, well, the only other re- Ukraine-related topic is um, is Elon Musk, interestingly, being directly involved. I don't know how many people know Elon Musk has been directly involved in the um, Ukraine conflict via his Starlink, which is a civilian internet connection uh, satellite system, a small satellite system that you know, provides internet services to people in different places, especially hard to... Uh, hard to reach places or places that aren't covered very well. But anyway, um, according to uh, a new book, of, uh, kind of autobiography, but re- well, not autobiography, written by some guy about uh, Musk. I think it's called Why Am Why Am I in This War or something like that. Anyway, uh, apparently, if you just have a look at this article from the Guardian, it's Elon Musk committed evil with his Starlink order. Now that's a very interesting title, according to a Ukrainian official. Okay, the Guardian says it was a Ukrainian official. But why would the Guardian, why would the Guardian decide to promote a Ukrainian official's silly comment about Elon Musk committing evil? It's a bit of hyperbole, right there, obviously. But again, the Guardian, you know, paper of record, very sober, supposedly, you know, promotes this kind of nonsense. You know, even though they're quoting someone, it's like a paper of record that's a serious newspaper doesn't quote crazy people. You know, they could pick some crazy nutter in the street. It's like Elon Musk, you know, is a hybrid man-goat, says crazy man in bar on Saturday night in London. What what kind of paper would you expect that to appear in? 
uh, the National Enquirer, Weekly World, World News, or something like that. But yeah. apparently, the, the same kind of thing is in, in the Guardian here because obviously, Ukrainian official is going to be massively biased, and they're, they're just full of propaganda. So the Guardian not really reporting objectively the facts here; they're reporting propaganda from a Ukrainian official who's claiming that Elon Musk committed evil. And the story is that you know, so Musk has given access to the Ukrainian military are given starting access to the Ukrainian military for, you know, the war, and it was up to a certain point, but apparently he didn't want it to be used for something that would directly enable the Ukrainians to escalate the war to a point where at least Musk feared that there might be a serious escalation response from the Russians in terms of maybe nuclear strikes or something like that. So, um, anyway, the, the, the article is, Senior Ukrainian official accused Elon Musk of committing evil, after a new biography revealed details about how the business magnate, uh, get this, ordered his Starlink satellite communications network to be turned off near the Crimean coast last year to hobble a Ukrainian drone attack on Russian warships. Warships. Now, think about that. That implied in that paragraph is that Elon Musk had direct and accurate operational knowledge of a planned upcoming imminent um, Ukrainian drone attack on Russian warships. Is that plausible? No. Is 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 Elon Musk giving being given, if not all of it, but at least I don't know why they picked this one because it was using Starlink. Any Ukrainian military operation that is pending or uh, is, is imminent, he's been giving being given advance not information about those upcoming operations. Would you assume that's the case or not? I no. don't think so. I don't think so. No, absolutely not. Especially since you did. So, but this, but this, this first paragraph carries the clear implication that Musk ordered his Starlink satellite communications network to be turned off in order to hobble a Ukrainian drone attack on Russian warships, which means he must have known it was coming. Mm. So, it's obviously that's not the case. This is just sensationalist yellow journalism. He didn't order anything. He didn't order. You know, he didn't hobble. A, a, a specific operation. It seems that probably from the get-go, Musk decided that Starlink would not be used, and he probably has obviously have the capacity to prevent uh, Starlink being used for coverage of or for operational usage in 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 and on the Crimea or near and on the Crimean Peninsula. So he didn't want it used for military purposes uh, on the Crimean Peninsula. And he probably that probably goes back a long way, or from maybe from the very beginning when he gave access or allowed the Ukrainian military to use his starting, um, his starting satellite. So this the, is just more bullshit, right? He didn't he didn't stop any Ukrainian. No, the, but that's the, why it's been presented in the media and by CNN as well. The biographer has since spoken up um, in response to this slant on it on the story. You put that up, Scotty. This is uh, Walter Isaacson. He's a uh, yeah, there you go, author of a variety of things, including this bio. He, he wrote it also in the Washington Post. To clarify on the Starlink issues, issue, the Ukrainians thought coverage was enabled all the way to Crimea, but it was not. They asked Musk to enable it for their drone sub-attack on the Russian fleet. Musk did not enable it because he thought, probably correctly, that would cause a major war. Okay, so from the beginning, it was never it never covered Starting the Crimean never Peninsula, covered Crimea. and they asked him to turn it on, basically for, and then maybe they told him we've got maybe something going up, on, something operational, but only up. 
only in order to get him to turn it on. Yeah. And he said, well, no, I haven't turned it on. It hasn't been available for the entirety of the conflict so far. Mm-hmm. But for the specific reason that it would you know, be dangerous in terms of possible Russian retaliation, therefore I'm not turning it on now, regardless of what they're doing. I don't really care what plan you have for some submarine, drone, whatever, operation against the Russian Black Sea Fleet. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's the reason I didn't turn it on in the first place. I'm not going to turn it on now just because you're going to do something. I didn't turn it on because you were going to do something probably at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's um, Ukraine. Yeah, um, I mean, they keep they keep pumping money into Ukraine. There's a new tranche there of a few hundred million, um, a bunch of different similar weapons, whatever. Um, although it was less than previously, and I suspect that it's because there aren't enough, not because there isn't the weapons available in the West to give to the Ukrainian military, it's that there aren't enough of the Ukrainian military to use them left anymore. Um, so arm shipments may, be, may go down over the next while um, progressively as there's less and less Ukrainian soldiers, you know, able-bodied Ukrainian soldiers to actually use that those weapons. But it's, it's very cynical, obviously. It's just this is the West just capitalizing on... Uh, just, it's a... They're, they're just looting. They're looting, pillaging Ukraine. They're facilitating Ukrainian personnel, Ukrainian uh, men, basically, primarily to be to, 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 to die for no good reason whatsoever except some geopolitical dreams in the heads of Washington elite. Or I wouldn't even go so far as to say that. I mean, I think it's just, you could put it just down to money-making, you know. They're just down for the cash, you know. I don't think there's much in the way of... At this point, any any policy angles really any more related to Ukraine? Apart from the fact that we started, we're already well into it. We can't just walk away now. We're yeah. kind of stuck in a certain sense. So, what do we do? Well, we keep going, even though it'd be we, nice if it just yeah. ended. The best we can get out of them is what we saw last week from um, Mitt Romney. Hmm. That there's a kind of a vague paramoralistic reason, paramoral because it's not really, but it's presented as moral that we need to do this. So that China gets the message not to do this to Taiwan. Uh, <laughs> rationally, logically, there's no geopolitical connection between the two whatsoever. But they make that. It's the kind of it, they've always done it that though. I mean, LBJ on Vietnam. If we don't get them gooks now, all the little dominoes will fall in Southeast Asia, right. Indochina. Right. It, it made no sense whatsoever. But it made a kind of vaguely moral sense to Americans at the time to get them behind it. And, of course, the real reason was to grease the wheels of arms contracts. Yeah, and if, um, you, think about, if you think about it, you know, the, the full story, what he's, the, if, if that's true, that they, some of them believe that there's a message being sent to China, then it's not just that China's not allowed to engage in any expansionism, i.e. Taiwan, but rather if, it, if the Ukraine situation is used as, as a template, as an example, what... There's a step before that, which is that the U.S. is allowed to move into countries on China's border, strategically important for China, on China's doorstep, and you know, arm, train, and fund their military and t- make them essentially a, a, a U.S. protectorate. And China should not do anything in response. Mm. That's the message. It's not because you know, the bullshit narrative is this is to stop China's, Chinese expansionism into Taiwan, you know. 
uh, for, so no, for we'll, no good reason. We'll Same, just like China, just like Russia did in Ukraine, like it is unprovoked. We'll arm it to the teeth in anticipation to deter that. Whereas, no. in fact, it will be to provoke it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's more about it's more about America. That the message being sent is America has always been an expansionist empire, obviously, and should be allowed to continue to do that unopposed. It has to order collapse. Right. That's the unspoken part. Right. <laughs> that's the message. If Mitt Romney was being honest, that, that's the message. He said, listen, we're, we're, we've been an empire for maybe 100 years. We've expanded all around the globe. Our, our, our bread and butter is going into countries, taking them over and subverting them one way and making them, bringing them into our, our aligned with us or, or bringing them into our fold and making them aligned with us. And uh, we have to be able to do that unopposed. If you attempt to do anything, if you take any action to try and oppose us when we do that, then you'll get Ukraine. We will continue to fund, we'll, we'll escalate basically. Yeah. And we'll never back So down. it's a threatening move. It's not, he, he presents it as a defensive move, but it's actually a, a, an offensive threatening uh, message that's being sent yeah. rather than defensive. Um, latest update from Russian Ministry of Defense yesterday, Russian airstrikes uh, against hit Ukraine's signal intelligence facilities, port infrastructure, sea drone production facilities, military warehouses, and fuel depots. Um, in addition, yesterday or Friday, I'm not sure which, Russian naval aircraft destroyed four high-speed boats ferrying a Ukrainian assault force right. west of Crimea, yeah. comprised of up to 50 special ops troops yeah. supported by RT. That's been happening almost weekly. They're attempting to land on the edge on, of Crimea. On Crimea. On the western, Via Odessa. Coast. They can't come from Kherson, obviously, because the counteroffensive went nowhere. And the Russians see it, and it's like, this is suicidal. But they take them out, and it happens again, That's and again, and again. <laughs> That's literally the definition of that term, Suicide cannon fodder. Mission. It's bonkers. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, again, this is almost a weekly occurrence now for four months. Russia continues downing um, waves of Ukrainian drone strikes targeting either Crimea or Russia proper. Um, they shot down eight drones in the Black Sea near Crimea also yesterday or the last day before that. Mm -hmm. Just, you know. Um, that's still peripheral, though, to the main battlefront, which is, it's, yeah, like we saw earlier, the map hasn't changed. They're still grinding up huge numbers of people. Mm-hmm. Um, hapless dupes or forced conscripts, who knows to what extent that it's forced. Um, it's, it's madness. It, I mean, from the average point, person's point of view, it's madness. But then you could say that any war or most wars, let's say, are madness, you know, have always been madness. Um, if a person stopped and thought about it, I mean, there's very few major conflicts of this nature that have, have occurred where it hasn't just been like any, that anybody who went engaged in it we're not being deluded, we're not being lied to, we're not being manipulated, you know. Um, you're, of course, they're always told this jinguistic, nationalistic, whatever, uh, story about good guys and bad guys, and we have to go and protect our way of life and all that kind of stuff, but that's just a manipulation, it always has been a manipulation, you know. Um, there are few and far between the conflicts um, that have occurred where they were morally right and justified, and the, and the people who fought them had no other option, they were actually fighting for their way of life or their rights, fund, basically fundamental rights. Mm. And it's usually been quite small, low-scale low conflicts, major world wars. Um, yeah, it's absolutely BS that this could be existential because if you look at the redevelopment of Mariupol, for example, mm. I mean, this, the supermarkets are full. 
main facilities are rebuilt. Everyone has power. Apartment complexes are springing up all over the place. You know, that's that's almost like that's actually unprecedented, actually, to have it happen so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, America's promise to Iraq when it went in was we're going to rebuild, and they did in a sense. They talked a big game and they sent massive amounts of cash to to there, but the rebuilding was so piecemeal, haphazard. It was a shit show. I mean, crates of cash, as we know, were found or lost, and they either cycled back home <clears throat> or they went to what became the future death squads and then jihadist groups. Yeah, well, um, a lot of them went to they went to defense contractors like uh, Halliburton and places like that were charging you know ten thousand dollars for a chair and stuff like that. You know. Uh, Dick Cheney's Halliburton yeah. uh, got got very, and other Pro- con- price gouging. Other companies got massively rich out of. That's where a lot of the taxpayer oh, rebuilding. Officially, money went. the government Bush at the time could say though we have spent. They could report to Congress we have spent X billions on the rebuilding of Iraq, and they talked and talked about it. So it was happening superficially, but how it translated. Anyway, I say all that for the sheer contrast with here. Actually, actual rebuilding has taken place in those places where Russia has moved through already and, from their perspective, liberated. Mm-hmm. And it's not just talk. They've walked the walk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the rest of Ukraine ought not to objectively have an existential issue with all this because, okay, I can clearly see they mean what they say when it mm-hmm. comes to we're just here to stabilize the situation, to denazify the country, whatever. Um, on the issue of conscripts, you know, we've all seen anecdotal evidence. There, there are definitely a lot of video clips of guys being hauled off the streets and practically abducted, kidnapped on the streets and mm-hmm. thrown into cars and stuff. So that's happening to some extent. Um, then this week, someone in Ireland published a what looked like a photo of a, an official letter sent to him by the Irish government telling him that... Though. I've heard that, but only based on a quibble about the legal issues of what's claimed in it. No one's claiming that the actual contents of the letter are photoshopped or that none of the letter heading or the who it would have been sent from and so on, the, the address, mm. uh, someone in the Justice Ministry of Justice. Um, no one's claimed it's fake. They're, they're claiming it's fake based on, no, in Ireland, if you're in the country as a war refugee and you're sought for conscription back home, Historically, the Irish government has not extradited you. Mm-hmm. Fine, that may be the case, but the letter's telling him he has a hearing date and he must attend it or he will be arrested. So he's, they're going through the, the process of getting him to a hearing. Mm. He may be all in the clear because they'll say at the hearing, sorry, in Ireland we don't extradite. Okay, but that's, that's an example of what's going on in the background. Um, did I send you this last one, Scotty? Let's look at what the Ukrainian regime itself is saying. Um, uh, this is September 9, two days ago. Ukraine demands extradition of its draft age men, which in Ukraine is vastly wide because it's now officially 18 to 54 years old. Okay, um, off the bat they say the Austrian and Czech government are telling them no for now. Um, the Czech government, mind you, is headed by an ex-NATO general, so we'll see how long that lasts. But um, others are being very helpful in get their information. Poland, um, we'll see later on the article. Um, I want to stick on the second paragraph. Poland has kindly let Ukraine know that there are about 80,000 military-age men there. 
mm. they could draw on. And the German government has also pitched in, just to let them know, by the way, we estimate we have about 200,000 military-aged men among our Ukrainian war refugees in Germany. So last week, mm. David Arachamia, parliamentary faction leader of Ukraine's governing party, Servant of the People, said that Ukrainian law enforcement agencies should demand the extradition of men of military age who had illegally left Ukraine to escape mobilization. The Ukrainian leadership is stepping up its efforts to recruit soldiers, but there are more and more reports of men fleeing the country to avoid military service. These people could be mobilized and increase the ranks of our armed forces, thereby strengthening our defense and security, <laughs> says a member of Ukraine's Parliament, Ukraine Parliament's National Security Defense and Intelligence Committee. So that's the official word. They want them, and they tend to get what they want. Hmm. So, yeah. I, that, that, I mean, how far do they, do they want this war to go on? They have a pool of... I estimate, based on the numbers that are at the foot of that article, there's about 400,000, a pool of about 400,000 military-aged men in just the European Union states. Hmm that they could start to put on planes and send back. Yeah. That's then, the next step. That's then, where it could go next. And then go through basic training and become cannon fodder. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a tra- if, if none of them, you assume none of them are military, most of them are not military men, military uh, with a military background, so they're going to need a lot of training uh, if they're not just going to end up... Uh, the omens aren't looking good. Um, guess who went to Ukraine last week? Here's a little clip of her arriving to give him his marching orders. Blinking himself, officially in charge, although the real person in charge comes behind him. There she is. Yeah, so they weren't there to talk peace. I'm afraid. You can cut it there. That's not, they're not there to talk, they're to, there to talk war and death. So, um, yeah, not looking good. It still, still amazes me that, you know, Blinken, his family were Eastern European. Technically, they were Hungarian, but it's actually in a part of Hungary that used to be Ukrainian. And Newland, of course, and I forget what their real name was before they changed it when they emigrated to the US. They were part of, I think they're from Lithuania. Mm. Poland. The borders changed, of course, during the course of the 20th century. But I'm not the only one who's noticed this. Colonel McGregor has said this in passing a few times. Everyone refers to them as neocons, which is kind of an ideological catch-all. But he's pointed out specifically that people in charge of foreign policy in the United States post 9-11, and their numbers kind of cement and increase, all come from that part of the world. Mm. They have this, I don't know, he suggested like it's a blood vengeance, a vendetta hmm. against Imperial Russia and Putin mm-hmm. is a reincarnation of it. And that's what, and, and that might explain the ideological full-on focus for on why this is existential for Washington, you know, um, beyond just simply because it's a way to get Russia, you know. Hmm. I think there might be something to it. The, yeah. There's um, a lot of t- the ties that bind, you know, when the CIA and the MI6 started um, embracing Ukrainian Nazis after World War II. Um, initially, the CIA said, no, they wouldn't. MI6 did on the QT, though, and maybe in the later 50s, into the 60s. 
the CIA embraced it. In the meantime, MI6 had facilitated uh, tons of them to follow um, the large numbers of Ukrainian emigres who ended up in Canada, which, of course, produced another notorious current – she's currently the foreign minister? No, she's currently the deputy prime minister – um, Freeland, mm-hmm. also of Ukrainian origin. And grandfather, in fact, was an active Nazi for the Ukrainians mm-hmm. back in the time. Yeah, it's, it's very strange how they all... But then you think that, you know, the, the, the State Department and similar in other, in, in other Western countries would be, you know, be full of people who, you know, in, in the context of the Cold War and then, you know, the new Cold War, that it would have been staffed with people who were Eastern European mm. kind of trainees, if you know what I mean, that they'd gone through school and focused on Russia, focused on, you know what I mean? Because, the Cold, because the Cold War never stopped, right? So there's a cadre of them that came up and through and were, were protégés of the older ones and stuff and brought them in because that was always the focus. The Cold War never ended, right? They they kept bringing them in. Um, and you want people who are ideological, ideologically on, on song, if you know what I mean. Uh, you want it more than just the average bureaucrat, you know. It's helpful to have people who have that have that ideological fixation, yeah. you know. Applebaum. To, to push the... Who's to, married to, really, to... To be personally invested yeah. in it rather than seeing it as just a... Um, do you remember last week we, we, we looked at it briefly? We laughed at it. We lampooned it because it was farcical on the face of it. The blood tribe neo-Nazi protests in Tampa, Florida. Mm. I don't recall what they were specifically attending or attempting to disrupt, but they were all there with the swastikas and tats and sea kyles. It was obviously farcical. And when interviewed, they said they, they supported Biden because he, mm. would, he would support the war in Ukraine, which just contradicted the whole point of trying to provoke in people's minds the, the specter of white supremacy and tag it on Trump. But anyway, there is a serious edge to this. Um, Laura, Loom, Laura Loomer, um, Jewish-American journalist who's kind of well, – she, she, she ran a, as a Republican candidate in 2022, I think. Um, she, she, was, did, she was there and she did some follow-up stuff about the people who attended. You remember the, oh, the guy with the – the face tattoos, the mm-hmm. ugly bastard, um, Boneface McClelland or McClellan. Um, okay, I won't read the whole thing, but <clears throat> um, she's discovered if you scroll down to the image, I think there's a couple of photos at the base of this. Yeah, this is the key one here. So the guy um, you see highlighted, Sergei Dibinin, Dibnin, not sure how you pronounce that. Um, on the right is him at Maidan in 2014. Hmm. On the left is him at uh, the Capitol on January 6th. Wow. And um, she knows, she's pretty sure like that uh, the American guy, Boneface, Kent Boneface McClellan, um, is, was in is definitely on the payroll. He involved, the guy himself is on record as boasting that he had served in Ukraine mm-hmm. and that he's back safely attending idiotic protests to provoke hmm. people in the United States. Um, some more updates. On so this. what the hell is she, a guy? This, this guy, McClellan, has been threatening her, calling her up all week. Um, you know, what, the hell is, what the hell is a guy who's at Maidan, I suppose, in, in, in support of the Maidan protest, trying to basically U.S. State Department sponsored coup, funded and sponsored coup, 
what the hell was a guy at that in 2014 doing at the January 6th pro-Trump rally, riot, insurrection, mutiny? Well, um, the simple answer is he's on the payroll, so it's just, it's just he's just doing his job. Do? What the but the ideological connection but what's he doing is there? most interesting. Um? What's he doing at the January 6th riot, January 6th insurrection? Probably encouraging the encouraging. the naive ones, like the guy he's photos with, Jacob Chansley, that ended up getting him in prison hmm. for a year and a half. Um, encouraging, helping to you know shape the events of that day as as he hears on an earpiece. And there were a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, she knows of one for sure. Um, the the and the well, the ideological connection is that. I suppose, tenuously, if they're not just simply doing what they're told because that's where the salary comes from, they um, w- would have sought to target Trump mm-hmm. via January 6th. Because he was has the reason, he was the reason the war had stalled. Remember, we heard McCain and Lindsey Graham say to them when they arrived in December 27, mm. 2016, oh, no, it was before Trump was elected. He said next year, it's just before the election, they're in Ukraine in late 2016, and they're promising Azov types, next year, 2017, will be a year. We're going to get them, you know? That was delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, tangled web, as usual. Um, India, G20, Putin wasn't there. They keep on saying Putin wasn't there, blah, 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 because he's been isolated and alienated and nobody wants him and he's nobody afraid. Wants, yeah. He's afraid to go and uh, blah, blah, blah. But they, forget, they don't mention the fact that uh, Xi Jinping didn't go either. But he's also afraid. Okay. <laughs> but he's not isolated and alienated either. I mean, that's not the case. Anyway, uh, just more propaganda in the media. It's just ridiculous, ridiculously transparent. Um, this is Biden, though. I mean, at least Biden was there because at least he would be able to hold everything together, keep the international community, the golden billion, on song. And keep the rules-based order focused. Keep it all focused on where it needs to be focused on. And he did a really good job here, if you have a listen. And I particularly want to thank Prime Minister Modi and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salam, excuse me, Mohammed bin Salam, and uh, (laughs) President von der Leyen and the European Commission. And since it's, uh, he's not speaking today, uh, I wanted to, well, maybe he is speaking today. I had a note he wasn't speaking. At any rate, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Excellent. Okay, he had the wherewithal to shut up at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my coat. I, I should leave now. I love how he said salam twice. Mohammed bin salam. I mean salam. Salam. Let me correct myself there and get it wrong again. <clears throat> of course, it's Mohammed bin Salman, but he said Salam, and he was one, one, one letter away from saying Mohammed bin Salami, which would have been cool. Um, yeah, so G20, just talking chop. Not much going on there, really. Well, what do you think of this idea that it's Obama pulling the strings, <coughs> that Obama's actually living at his third term? I know there's a deep state, and blah, 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 the issues, the orders probably come from higher or... CIA and intel briefs and the State Department and lawyers on Wall Street and stuff. But functionally, it needs a coordinator, at least official government. White House does. Yep. He obviously isn't. You have plenty of White House aides and different people who are, you know, picked, not elected, 
Uh, it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a right wing conspiracy theory that I think is you know justifies the ridicule that it gets. You know the idea that Osama or Osama Osama <laughs> say Osama or Obama Osama's running Osama. the show that Obama's running the show. It's just silly. Um, the, well, you don't I'd need mentioned before he's the first president to not actually leave DC after his terms ended. Yeah, because he's they're supposed to because of the, there was a good reason for it in the past. Of boyfriends there. Have a listen to this. This is him, like, I presume, during, sometime during Trump's years. I know, it's just offhand comments, but in hindsight, they take on a new color. What you know now, do you wish, like, you had a, sec- a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where... Um, I had a I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats, mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. Wow. Also, it was him, of course, that sick the whole. Well, it would have had to have come. He would have had to sign off on it. The sixth Russiagate on Trump. I know the brainchild began in Hillary Clinton's campaign, but he needed legally the what became Russiagate was kicked off by. I think that idea, the the FISA court, that idea conflicts with my general kind of understanding that uh, presidents in in America are really not very important, Uh, especially. Kind of establishment ones like that. They're basically front men. They don't know don't know a lot. They don't know very much, and they're just there to fulfill a largely ceremonial position. It's kind of that, that's what he was talking about there. He's just tired of being out front, being the kind of like smiley greeter, meter and greeter type thing. I'd rather be sitting because you get bored with that. I'd say a lot of them get bored with that in a certain sense. You know, at least after a while, especially if you're present. You know, it's too much too much work basically because he's fundamentally lazy, right? The idea that uh, any former president is is a kind of like key player in that just doesn't sound sound right to me because there's such a massive infrastructure behind that has been running the show for such a long time, i.e. the intel agencies that Obama's like, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's like a, he's a, you know, he's married to Michelle, that's more than enough work for him to be getting on with, you know. That's more than enough uh, of a job for him to do uh, post. Uh, and he didn't have to stay in Washington, D.C. for her because that's where the specialist clinics are. <laughs> anyway. Rumour is Michelle's running uh, to replace Biden in 24. We'll see. Running as well. As the president. A man or a female or a As the first female president. Yes, the first female president. First non-binary president. Um, yeah. What do you think of Tucker's warnings? He gave two big warnings in his interview. We, have, we already covered a clip from his interview because he um, talked to Adam Carolla, the mm. actor who now has a podcast, and he told him, that's where he told him the story about Larry Sinclair. He since interviewed Sinclair. Um, but there were also two warnings in that podcast from two weeks ago. One was that he thinks Trump's going to be assassinated. Mm. Um and the other is uh, he's in his Tucker way. He's dead sure they're going to provoke a hot war with Russia pre-election. 
to issue an emergency situation um, to control the media or maybe to control better control maybe. of the election process. There can't be a hot war with Russia. Because like he's mad. Hot. Yeah. There can't be a hot war with Russia. Like that, that's a non-starter. And, but on, in terms of his, what was the guy, Larry Sinclair? His claims about Obama. Um, why is his claim about Obama any less credible than the claims by that woman? What was her name? Yeah, yeah. Against uh, Trump? Christine. Whatever her face is, the claim of the, of the illicit... Uh, illicit... Take your pick. Touching. The claims against the guy who was a Supreme Court candidate um, of panhandle rape or whatever it was back when he was a student with her in the 90s. That almost side-railed side him becoming a, a Supreme Court justice. Mm. I forget his name. The protest that followed, mm. yeah, and and of course the mantra at the time in the in the media was always believe her, yeah, whenever she makes a claim. So basically, the the, the problem is that you everybody is meant to believe that this woman, or her claims about Trump in the in the late eighties in the department store, um, believe her because it's Trump being a touchy-feely man or something like that and everybody knows that that happens, right? Men just can't control themselves. But there's no way Obama could be gay. Is that not homophobic? Mm, there's that too. Is it not like, is there not a, a bias there mm-hmm. where you don't believe it because because it's, no, because it's lurid on the face of it? Yeah, I mean, it's like, no, Obama having sex with another man? Ew, that's ridiculous. You're, 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 you're making things up, Neil. That's ridiculous. That would never happen. That never happens, actually. There is no such thing as gay people. It's, it's kind of like, you know, or more or less, yeah? Yeah. And Obama's just like, he's the president. Presidents aren't gay. Ooh, really? Ooh. Presidents can't be gay. Hmm. Interesting point of view. You're le- is, that, is this coming from left, lefties, like, basically not believing these claims or dismissing these claims? Surely they should love the idea that Obama's gay. Uh-huh. Bring it on. First gay president. Yeah. And first transgender first lady. Did you watch the interview? Yeah. What did you think? Why not? Why not? He didn't seem any less credible. In fact, he seemed a bit more credible than that, that crazy lady yeah. who accused Trump in the department store. But that's, I mean, either way, I'll just, I'll say, you know, yeah. If, if you're going to accept one, accept the other. If you're not going to accept it, I thought, one, then don't accept the other. I thought his story of, because there's always the question of well, what motivates someone to bring, come forward with the dirt, right? Mm. Is it money or is it a cause? Well, I suppose in the, in the case of the ladies against Trump, it's they've already they had the, they've had their head, their liberals by nature. Maybe they've had their heads turned. This guy's bad. We really need to do something to stop him. And so they come on they, they come on board and they join the cause. Here, though, his is a lot more bigger. He would not have had anything against Obama policy wise or anything. Maybe he's naturally a liberal at the time, stuff like that. I thought it was interesting that his story was that. He wrote to the campaign when Obama first ran in late 2007 because mm. um, he wanted to clarify the record on Obama's drug-taking issues. Mm. He didn't mention the sex at right. all. And that he goes on to explain to Tucker Carlson that that came up when I got a call back from someone close to the campaign saying, look, you know, this is going to go nowhere. Obama denies the sex and the drug claims. And the guy was like, what? I never, I never mentioned the first part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and the guy he had conversations with to deal with the issue and put it to rest ended up dead, shot dead in his apartment. Donald right. Young, yeah, yeah, who was an associate of Obama's, uh, <laughs> unsolved murder, seven shots, two to the head. No one in the apartments nearby heard it. Probably with a silencer. Suicide. 
Suicide at Ella Clinton. Um, very possible. But, you know, again, he said, she said, there's no evidence for it. But I found the most interesting thing is that were his descriptions of the character. Now, what's he going to know from, you know, a crack cocaine fuel twist? Not a lot. But I, he might be right in that he claimed to have, be a good judge of character and that one needs to be in the world he lives in. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you can end up mugged, mm-hmm. killed, you know, who knows what will happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was interesting that Sinclair and his story has been consistent because he wrote a book, remember we mentioned that? He wrote a book at the time and since then he's always had the same story is that he thought right away that there was something psychologically aberrant about Mm -hmm. Obama. They're my words now, not his. He didn't say it exactly like that. Mm -hmm. What he said was that he's watching Obama campaign in 07, Mm -hmm. 08, and he's like, um, no, what I remember of someone like like him and the way he was and the, the way he's acting with people, he's presenting himself as going to be a great unifier of people, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's, he said so. I thought to myself at the time, this guy is going to be so divisive. It's going to be the complete – it's going to have completely the opposite effect. Again, he's telling this uh, – we're learning his claims after the fact. Mm-hmm. But if that is really what he thought at the time, he was so right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He also said that he got the sense from Obama he's the kind of person that – Every little thing he does, big things, small things, whatever, is all designed to get him power, to get mm. him the next thing. It's suave and calm and smooth on the surface, but it's always with a manipulation or a hook. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, at this point, nobody should, <laughs> you know, nobody should dismiss all, any any allegation, especially one like that. And, you know, you're talking about people in positions of power and. Uh, who have sought power all their lives and the fact that they're psychologically, you know, deviant in some way or other or sexually deviant or whatever, or, you know, uh, is not something, or at least that they lie and they misrepresent themselves. And there's more, what's going on behind the, behind the curtain is very different from what, from the public face they give. Why would you, why would you, you know, dismiss that I out of hand, you know? It, yeah. Speaking um, of Trump, oh, can I show something first? Yeah, a quick tweet from Elon Musk who weighed in on this. Yeah, <laughs> um, he said it without saying it. I think I don't know what he was saying. To be honest, it's actually kind of open. Um, he's probably seen this meme structure before. Dominoes, dominoes. Jack Ryan at the Paris Sex Club. That was the guy who was running against. He was the GOP candidate running against Obama in 04 to become state senator for Illinois. He drops out, and he was probably the favorite at the time, um, after a scandal that's brought up, like a scandal going back to the 90s, mm-hmm. not a new one or a fresh <clears> one. <throat> um, Ryan drops out of the Senate race. Obama takes his place. Well, he won against whoever took Ryan's place. Becomes senator, wins presidency, <laughs> and then <laughs> alleged Obama drug field orgy. What is most interesting about the tweet, though, is actually his comment. Mm-hmm. What the hell? What, Domino's effect? Shades of Pizzagate. Oh, with, with a pizza? Pizza slice and Domino's. Domino's yeah. as in Domino's pizza, but okay. He, well, Domino's is the Domino's. <clears throat> Domino's is apostrophe S. Okay. <coughs> Somebody put a pizza on there, yeah. Who knows? Um, his father has said this week that he's worried about his son's safety. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He could be assassinated. His father's a bit of a crazy person, though. 
Well, they are from the elite, so. Who? The most. The elite? Yeah, well. Paul's just a businessman in South Africa. He's in South Africa. His mother moved to New York, though. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not political leader or anything like that. His family. No. They're not, yeah. His father's fairly wealthy, but he was apparently a very violent man. So anyway, okay. uh, that second one, or the, the other, moving on to Trump, yeah, we're talking about Trump, um, Trump-related stuff. Just put that one up. He talked recently, um, he gave a, a fiery statement in a new campaign video. I thought it was interesting. He's kind of, he's flipped a little bit. Have a listen. The left-wing lunatics are trying very hard to bring back COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. They want to restart the COVID hysteria so they can justify more lockdowns, more censorship, more illegal drop boxes, more mail-in ballots, and trillions of dollars in payoffs to their political allies heading into the 2024 election. Does that sound familiar? These are bad people. These are sick people we're dealing with. But to every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom, hear these words. We will not comply. So don't even think about it. We will not shut down our schools. We will not accept your lockdowns. We will not abide by your mask mandates. And we will not tolerate your vaccine mandates. They rigged the 2020 election, and now they're trying to do the same thing all over again by rigging the most important election in the history of our country, the 2024 election, even if it means trying to bring back COVID. But they will fail because we will not let it happen. When I'm back in the White House, I will use every available authority to cut federal funding to any school, college, airline, or public transportation system that imposes a mask mandate or a vaccine mandate. Thank you very much. I'm fighting words. But he's, yeah, he's kind of flipped a little bit. Uh, obviously, he wasn't that outspoken against COVID when it was happening yeah. and didn't call it a COVID hysteria at the time, but he's, he's got on, on board with that now, you know. And, of course, pretty much everything he says there is true, you know. And he, you know but other people, you know, large percentage of the population, uh, at least in America and elsewhere in the English-speaking world or anybody who listens to it would look at that and say, yeah, Trump's just crazy. But it's bizarre that he can actually, you know, say things that are demonstrably true, uh, provably true, in fact, and um, it gets dismissed as crazy Trump, you know. Would you encourage people to, I don't know, get behind Trump, to support him, to vote for him? Of course, yeah. Yeah? If they're, if they're going to get behind somebody or, or something, um, <clears throat> then yeah. But, I mean, I think he's got it more than enough people behind him already. You don't need to encourage anybody else to, you know what I mean? I wouldn't encourage people to get out and, like, kind of carry Trump Trump signs down the street and kind of, you know, march for him or anything necessarily. But I would encourage people to, to at least in their own minds in a certain sense, recognize the fact that uh, he, the only reason he has been attacked so much for the last seven years, literally now, or, or more, um, is because... He posed a threat to the people who hold power, unelected people who hold power in America, and that they don't and their agenda, which is not an agenda that is in the interests of the average person in the street. So, 
whether you like him or not and whether he goes off script or whether or not he misses some points or he's a bit of a blowhard and he's a lot of bluster and he doesn't express himself well and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is he's the only person in America today, really, who knows what's going on, knows the reality of the situation and actually has the interest of the people at heart rather than uh, the interest of, of, of the, the, the little clique of ruling elite who are, who are currently conspiring to, um, yeah, to to increase controls over the population and to squeeze the population further and further and further. I mean, he at least doesn't... It's weird the way... <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It's weird the way someone like Trump is the person who actually, you know, carries that, that standard of being a, a, a man of the people, basically, and, and having the interests of the people at heart. It's weird that someone of his nature and persona and stuff is, is, is the best you can get, like, you know what I mean? Because he yeah, does leave a lot to be desired in that respect, you know, but, you know, the point is you don't, you look beyond the, the surface and look at the substance, and that's what so, so many people don't seem to be able to do today, is to, to, to see the substance behind, you know, they believe Obama because he dances on the Ellen Show beside his wife who's got something swinging between her legs, and uh, they'll believe that, <clears throat> what Obama says because he dances well, they'll believe him anything he says after he dances well, they'll believe it. Uh, but Trump posts up with his big red head and his orange face or whatever and his funny hair and <clears throat> his his not very well articulated speeches and stuff and and they'll dismiss him on that basis rather than listen to what he's actually saying and what his what his trying to understand what his actual intent is you know so that's that's the problem in the world today really is 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 people taking the the surface for reality and not not being able, not being able to, or not being inclined to, or not being willing to, I don't know, uh, to look beyond and try and understand what's actually going on, and understand the world around them. Um, and I don't know why things have got so bad. People, 100 years ago, people weren't as stupid, because that's fundamental, it's kind of like a definition of stupidity, you know, being, being unable to read a situation. Uh, but being unable to kind of intuitively scratch the surface and see that what someone is presenting to you is probably a line of bullshit. And you're not going to believe that person and just ignore them and look for someone else, or look to someone else. Um, people don't see a lot of people don't seem to have the ability to to do that anymore. They're just like they're, they're yeah. just like big stupid sponges uh, uh, who just absorb the, the dominant, uh, you know, signal. Yeah, with with no discernment at all. It's very strange, but and it has you know it, it's. No, of course you're going to get chaos in, a, in, in any country or any society when that can, that's the, the, the way the population is, is, is kind of set up. Um, not good. But um, Rugby World Cup. Woohoo! Like rugby, Neil? No. What's rugby? You meant to say, what's rugby? What the hell are you talking about? You mean soccer ball? Soccer ball! And tonight, soccer ball! Uh, no, tonight, rugby ball. Uh, rugby ball! Um, it's um, kind of like American football, only real, only better. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, there's rug- I'm not taking a side on Rugby that. World Cup. You should. Rugby World Cup started, and um, in France, this every four years World Cup, rugby teams, different national rugby teams, get together in France and play for the next freaking like six weeks or something crazy like that until there's a final. But anyway, it just started this week. And there was an opening ceremony. It's the first match was in Paris. There was an opening ceremony in Paris in one of the big stadiums. And of course, little Emmanuel was there to uh, take advantage of the situation and uh, big up himself on the world stage. Um, 
So here he is. And see if you can notice something going on in the background. to get a word in edgeways because of all that whistling and booing. I think I figured it out. They moved the Eiffel Tower inside the stadium. Exactly. That's that's the kind of observation we're looking for, Neil. Yeah, no, it, it's... Out of touch, he, you know? It totally. But he, they don't care. He does it every time. He inserts himself into some sports. Stage, some, some stage like that. Big yeah. time. He did it with the French soccer team as well. Mm. Um, giving speeches. Nobody and wanted going to Hanging out in the changing room with after. Trying to grab soccer players and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> trying to touch up the soccer players. Because, of course, Emmanuel Macron is gay as well. Yeah. As Obama. Yeah. Just in case you wondered. But unofficially. Unofficially. But there you go. So it's strange, you know. I mean, it just seems to be, even amongst the political elite, the political, like, playmakers and stuff, you know, the advisors, all that kind of stuff, in government, in the Western world, they really don't think it's a good idea for our president to be gay. Hmm. Of, of a major nation because they have two, they have two opportunities and it's going back you know to 2008 uh, with um, Obama and five years ago six years ago with Macron they had an opportunity to say and we present to you the first gay president of America or France didn't take the opportunity they slammed a big lid on it and not allowed why? Don't we all love the gays? Maybe they thought the time wasn't right. Ah, come on. Yeah. Maybe later. Yeah. It's, to, it's yet to come. You see, so you're saying we will have our we will have an officially first gay president of a major world nation. We already have one in Ireland, like, mm-hmm. but uh, that's not a major world nation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we, they, can, they, we can dream. We can hope. <laughs> hope he changey. Um, it's too late now. There's a backlash, I suppose. It's it's not not directed against homosexuality per se, but the moralizing. The, the winds have shifted. It would if there was if there was any smarts left in the advisory classes, they would be. Um, they would be redirecting away from the left mm. and putting in someone on the right they can control. You know? Should put this guy in. They, se- they seem to find this that This guy's difficult. finally answered the question that has been a problem <laughs> for a lot of people of late. Do you want to hear? I uh, have, yeah. Uh, Let's hear. Answer the unanswerable question. Yeah. What, what, what is a woman? What is a woman? It's Obama! <laughs> Obama? That's right. It's Michelle Obama. Plain and simple. You that confused? Let me come and watch it. I tell you, it's your mama. <laughs> it's sure ain't your daddy. That's right. Go ahead. President Biden joining in on the conversation. Mm. Oh, we, we, we didn't know what a woman. We didn't know. <laughs> we, 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 we didn't know what a woman is. A woman is your mama. <laughs> That's right. Tell about Pastor. That man is past eighty, isn't he? He's past eighty, I, right? I believe so. 
You mean to tell me you passed 80 and you don't know your mama and your wife? That's right. Is a woman. <laughs> they keep trying to shove this trash on Africa. That's and right. African presidents, one by one, is standing up against it. That's right. He should be the next president. Yeah. Of America. Um, Yo, mama. So if anybody asks that question ever again, you know the answer now. Just say, it's your mama. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Africa, um, Niger says France is deploying forces in ECOWAS countries. Officially, no. There's nothing from Paris about um, anything, whether it's military personnel or equipment. Um, also this week, clashes have begun in Burkina Faso. And it's probably gonna it's probably gonna play out this way. Um, militants came over the border. No one knows where they are, who they are, where they came from. Mysterious it, militants. It left like 20, from Langley, Virginia. Twenty soldiers dead. Yeah, fifty-three, probably. Fifty. Higher than okay. Soldiers. Um. Yeah. Um. Azerbaijan, Armenia, kicking off again. This could go hot. Um, the Iranians have said they're going to send military mm-hmm. forces to the border with Azerbaijan. Turkey's warning them, Iran against intervention. Um, Armenia this week is hosting joint military exercises with the United States. Russia mm-hmm. says that's not very friendly. The drills known as the Eagle Partner Exercises 2023 will take place from today, September, no, tomorrow, September 11th to 20th. Um, We'll see. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, that's an absolute minefield of a problem right there. Uh, it would be interesting, though, to see Iran side with Armenia, the Christian country, against Azerbaijan, the Muslim country, mm-hmm. turning the whole sectarian premise on its head, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Armenia, Armenia is, is strange. You know, Armenia obviously has been traditionally pro, pro-Russian. pro Yeah. Uh, Georgia, not so much, but Georgia kind of keeping the peace in a certain sense or staying quiet, but Georgia was always... But this, I mean, the fact that's happening now is like points directly to uh, American State Department moves, you know, um, assurances, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Um, I don't know if anything... I mean, obviously it's happened before, so we don't know if, if it'll, anything will kick off in any, in any significant way, but something to watch for sure because obviously it would put pressure on Russia's southern border and stuff, you know. Um, give Russia something to something else to worry about if they can. They'd love to, you know, on, on, on in the South Caucasus there, you know. They'd love to give Russia a problem there, you know. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think they're they're ready for it. I think they expect it. Absolutely. This week, they expect um, everything basically. We no longer we years gone past. We used to talk about it every week the the war in Syria and how that was progressing. You know, the status quo it left with was. Eight nine thousand U.S. soldiers in the northeast with the Kurds, and a whole bunch of bottlenecked jihadists pushed up by the Syrians and the Russians into Idlib in the northeast. Well, this week there were airstrikes. Russians conducted airstrikes, killing around one hundred and ten jihadists in Idlib. That's another. I mean, it's another pressure point. It's a point. Another point where also uh, Turkey and Russia collide. Mm-hmm. That whole southern border of Russia is like. 
I don't know how I don't know how they can manage. <laughs> they do a lot of work trying to keep everything under control because they know yeah. it's just it's it's been the Americans will be all over it like in a second. They are all over it and they're trying their best, you know. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Russia has expected that for a long time. It goes back to 2008 with the war in Georgia and that kind of stuff that was you know indirectly supported supported by 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 the US, you know. Um, so they know they know their 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 potential fracture points or weak points on their borders that you know that America has been probing. It goes back like 40, 50, 60, 70 years. You know mm. what I mean? So uh, they're well versed in U.S. tactics in that res- in that respect. You know, um, whether or not the U.S. will actually get any traction out of it is, remains to be seen. But they're definitely trying. Um, did you? Um, obviously, are you gonna Morocco earthquake? Yeah, it was crazy. 2000 Last plus. Night. Um 6.8. Um not common in Africa. Um uncom- very com- uncommon. I think said something like 500 years since since an earthquake of that size was ha- happened in that area. Um Yeah, not the worst they've had in the country though. No. There was one in the 1960 that killed 12,000 people. But it's in, they hit Marrakesh. Mm-hmm. Is that the, that's not the capital of the country. Maybe it's like one of its oldest cities. Marrakesh is like a thousand-year-old. It's got thousand-year-old buildings in it, and some of them were damaged. Mm. What, for the first time? Um, it's interesting as well that that happens right after the country was flooded mm-hmm. in this crazy jet stream blocking event that took place in the last week, 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, people have probably seen this some insane flooding the world over last week but um, especially in, in our part of the world in Spanish peninsula and then Morocco on one side and then over on the other eastern side of Europe Greece, Bulgaria, the Balkans and then in the middle a late summer heat wave that brought some record high temperatures for September all the way up to UK, UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. and sour and dust falling mm-hmm. as far north as Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I think a satellite still of what that looks like. Um, yeah, they call it Jetstream Omega, just where you get extreme blocking mm-hmm. on two sides. Now, somebody look at this and explain to me. How am I choosing to fly or not, or to eat meat or not, regulates extreme jet stream meandering? Mm. Because I don't see how they, I don't I don't understand how they can explain. Remember that the premise of man-made global warming is not that we humans contribute all the CO two. We we contribute at most. 3% of the CO2 in the atmosphere. So the theory is at the margins, we're pushing things more extreme one way or the other. Mm. And then it, then the jet stream, like how in the hell, that is in the upper atmosphere. Uh, That's, the, it's been known for ages that <clears throat> it's correlated with solar activity in part, not mm. only, mm-hmm. that there are massive cosmic forces, electromagnetic, solar, Involved with what the jet stream does, mm-hmm. but of course, then they see all the videos coming out, and they go, "Oh my God!" Hashtag climate emergency. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah, it's a climate emergency, but 
I suppose it is, but there's nothing you can do about it but just write it out. Yeah. And your government ain't going to come save you when the car is floating down the street. Yeah, well, there's definitely, like, I mean, I think there's a move northward of that. You know, there's a kind of a belt of kind of precipitation that causes monsoons. Kind of north, just north of the equator type thing in certain areas around the world, serious monsoon, you know, every year at certain monsoon season, you know. And I think that belt is... As a, as a function of this climate change that's caused by many different factors, is moving north, which means you'll have a lot more precipitation, flash flooding, monsoon type downpours in more northern latitudes than is usual. But then the problem is, is if that moves, that's in temperate areas. You know, we don't get any freezing or any cold cold weather near the near the poles, so or cold air coming down from the poles. So if you, if you move that belt of precipitation further north, and then you get um, in the winter and, and cold, you have a you have a large uh, in the winter season. You have a, a build up of snow and ice, a rapid build up of snow and ice, which then can lead to an ice age. That's my theory, anyway. Um, but just on the uh, you said the scientists and the climate and the climate scientists and if you this was in the in the Telegraph um, just uh, this week. Uh, climate scientist admits overhyping impact of global warming and wildfires to get published. Dr. Patrick Brown claims research that cuts against the mainstream narrative on climate change is taboo <coughs> in certain journals. Fascinating. So it's, it's taboo nowadays mm-hmm. to admitted, not lie. He has admitted that overhyping the impact of global warming on wildfires to ensure his work was published in the prestigious science journal Nature. So it's not that he's calling out other people. He's saying he basically is one of the few that had a pang of conscience because he was actually doing this. He knew, understood intuitively, like all the rest of them do, that in order to get your work published in prestigious journals, you had to overhype the impact of global warming on, in this specific case, yeah, you had wildfires. To, you had to be political. You had scientific. to play it up. So, um, so he's, the, he's the co-director of the climate and energy team at the Breakthrough Institute in Berkeley. Um, and he published a paper last week arguing that climate change increased wildfires in California. Um, but in a blog then, he basically outs himself in a blog in a series of posts on X, formerly known as Twitter, Dr. Brown admitted that there were, f- there were other factors influencing wildfires that he had purposefully ad- omitted, such as poor forestry management and Trump an increase in people starting fires deliberately or ex- accidentally. Trump also said that. He said he found that journals would not publish climate studies unless they follow a specific formula and a mainstream narrative in which global warming was viewed as the sole culprit for environmental destruction. Yeah. So what about the consensus? What about the yeah, science no, settled? I get hit with it every time I weighed in on some thread on Twitter about this. Mm. Yeah, but there's thousands. Are you saying they're all lying? I'm like, nope. you don't understand. This guy here is saying, if you do not lie, you lose your access, your job, and eventually your whole career. You have to lie. Well, you, you, to you, lie is the norm. <laughs> it's not necessarily to lose your career. It's that you just basically don't get funding and don't get the, the kudos and that you, that you want to get that they're all aspiring to. It's right. kind of like saying, are you saying that everybody, that most people who work in, in a business for a company, if they 
they tend to stick to the the company policy. And if they see something that's a bit kind of like dodgy or whatever, they tend to just not say anything about it in order to keep the jobs because they don't want to rock their boat because at the end of the day, they're just like, I just work here. I just get a paycheck. I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. I work in the company. I know there's some dodgy dealings going on in the company, but I'm not going to stand up and talk to a newspaper about it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tweet about it. I'm not going to say anything on social media. I have to be careful about my social media anyway because it's scrutinised. I work in this company. I know there's dodgy deals going on, but I just keep my mouth shut in order just to keep getting my paycheck. Are you saying that there's anybody in the world that has ever done that, Neil? Uh, than most people. Right, okay. okay. No, you're wrong. Well, Nobody ever does that let because me, the science. I wonder, let, me, let me rephrase that then. It's not that they're all lying and all liars. A, a bias is built into it. No, what you're saying is people are accusing you, people say to you, are you saying they're all liars? Mm-hmm. And that's like not even wrong. You're not even asking, that's the wrong question to be asking. You, you don't seem to understand the point. You don't, they, the person accusing you of that doesn't seem to understand human nature. And I give a little example there. Right. It's, like, it's like them saying, no one ever keeps their head down in a company and doesn't report on, you know, skullduggery of some kind because they simply want to keep their job right. and just keep, but apparently that never happens according to people of the mindset that accuse you of, of, of yeah. saying they're all liars. Right. That never happens. Human beings are always impeccable and always done, especially in science. Right? And there's, there's a science. consensus, and therefore it's the objective mean. Well, it's the, the, yeah, exactly. And the bullshit is the, this idea of the science, as if the science is some, you know, disembodied, you know, intelligence that opines on things. Obviously, like the science. God. Has, yeah, it's like God. It's replaced right, God. It's like, God. like yeah. Anthony Fauci said, uh, like it was kind of like God. He was kind of like God. Um, the science comes through human beings and human beings are fallible. What part of that yeah. simple idea do people not understand? It's, it's, that, that, yeah. that, that simple, human. exactly. Well, that's simply, simple, simple um, you know, Truism. idea that is not up for debate, that no one debates, no one questions that human beings are fallible. And there is no such thing as the science. All science comes through human beings comes through their minds and the complicated nature of human beings and their emotions and their, their, their needs and their wants and their prejudices and the way they lie to themselves and their prodig- prodigious ability to, to, to delude themselves. But somehow people still appeal to this idea of some objective, the science that exists separate from human beings and is just shiny, squeaky clean always and is pure and gets transmitted to human beings from on high. From the mind of the science. No, it doesn't. It comes through dudes like this yeah. who just admitted to falsifying information effectively, falsifying a study on global warming, the impact of global warming on wildfires because he wanted to get into a journal to get money. To get ahead, yeah. Are you trying to tell me that people do stuff for money? Really? No, the war in Ukraine is about democracy. I, you know, <laughs> you wonder why we even, like, you wonder why we even... Is what I'm saying. I can't even. I can't even. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, that's it. Do you want to? That's it. We're done. Go on. What about that? We thought we might return to it last week. We didn't have time. The, the Maui wildfire. Maybe it's, that's old news. Aliens. That, but Jesus. Um, we we did refer to it. Um, the claim that cops were redirecting people. That's not confirmed. Mm-hmm. That actually happened. Um, 
at least I wasn't denied, let's say. Uh, a local Hawaii news station did a report on it. Um, more people have given testimony who were there. I said, yeah, yeah. They were at the edges of the town, sending them all back in. It's It, it must be so weird living in the U.S. Like, it's, Well, maybe not. If, if everyone around you is in a similar mushed brain state of mind, maybe it, it, it's not weird. Until disaster strikes, I suppose. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a news report. We won't watch the whole thing, but um, it just reports matter-of-factly on, yes, there were cops directing people back into the fire. Listen for a minute By meeting with evacuees and cataloging their video, a more robust timeline comes into focus, and there are some surprises. Lahaina Luna Road, where it meets the highway, that was shut down at one point. Kiave Street and Honoapilani northbound was shut down during the height of the evacuation for over two hours. Downed power lines entangled these cars on Honoapilani Highway near Kapunakea. One block north of Lahaina Gateway. This man at 2.53 p.m. August 8th is unsure if the lines are energized and removes the power line from his SUV using a branch. Video shot by Travis Miller shortly after he goes in and out of Safeway at 3 p.m. show northbound lanes then shut down. This video shows no cars on the blocked-off highway still, 5.24 p.m., two and a half hours later, when Debbie Schultz-Peterson shot this video. Miller's video documented the lane closure during that time. He says police directed traffic down Keave Street into the cannery. They either went out the backside on the front street. I could see that everyone was blocked, so I went out and I came this way, and I got under the power line. Though we are not crossing the barricade, we're told we cannot film here. You go somewhere else, but you guys not allowed here. Big cloud of black smoke past the window. Before 4.30 p.m., Chantal Katnak. Uh, I don't know. Somebody will have to put an explanation why you would block off roads that... I think people. there's one kind of built into the reporting, now that I'm re-watching it. Mm-hmm. It's that, well, there was danger. The danger was the down lines. power lines, so it was for your protection. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In seven hours, they couldn't remove them at one or two of the, of the five key points of leaving. Um, it's dodgy. Another aspect is that they put up this giant um, dust screen. That's the ostensible reason for it. Five miles of perimeter of blackout fencing all around the town. You're not allowed to see. Afterwards? Yeah, Since now. Then, right. Yeah. Um, it's about... Since uh, August 25th, so three weeks after the fact, that's all erected. And then people are driving around and they're showing the, the entire perimeter. And ostensibly, the dust, it's yeah. called it a dust screen. It's to, because there's a lot the of ash. stuff that's burned in there, toxic stuff. It's to protect you on the outside right. from inhaling it. Well, maybe. A two meter high fence? Maybe. Other than nothing, I suppose. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, um, I think that's all I got. That's all you got? Week. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, final note is, what do you get when you cross a corrupt <laughs> uh, lawyer with a crooked politician? Go on. Chelsea Clinton. Chelsea Clinton? Yeah. Political oh. <laughs> joke. Anyway. But, but... Actually, her real father was also a lawyer. Exactly. So you get uh, 
Exactly. But her mother was a lawyer too. Oh, but she became a politician. Right. Okay, right, I get it now. At the time, at the time. The drops, the at drops. the time. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, thanks for watching, subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe and liking and commenting. And we'll be back next week with another show updating you on whatever's been going on between now and then. Hopefully it won't be too much madness, but par for the course these, these days. days. So yeah. what can you expect? So anyway, have a good one. See you later. Thanks for watching. Bye, all. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.